You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow out here in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, we'll break down the battle between Twitter and threads as the new platform hits 70 million users, while Elon Musk's company threatens legal action against Meta. Plus, Alibaba surges as China finds Ant Group and Tencent signaling the end of a regulatory crackdown could be near. We'll have more details ahead. And we'll get insight into Apple's Vision Pro plans as it readies a slow rollout of the $3,500 headset. All that, so much more to come. Let's stick with threads. I'm pleased to say Bloomberg Opinion columnist Dave Lee has been writing all about it. He talks about how it was like arriving to a destination wedding with familiar faces but a pretty unfamiliar setting. Eventually, someone might be brave enough to quietly mutter, so... Do you think it'll last? Let's bring in Bloomberg Opinion Tech columnist Dave Lee with all the analogies. It was a beautiful analogy of a destination <laughs> wedding. Before I get into the wedding gifts that we're giving them of our privacy data and the money that they might be able to reap off the back Quite. of it, I want to ask just how this day two of the destination wedding is going. Is the party still there? Is it hot? Are people remaining dedicated? Well, I think day two may be the wedding itself, right? Everyone's here. The people who are perhaps slow from other places have arrived. Um, soon, I guess, we're going to start having questions about what exactly the staying power of this network is. And I think already you're starting to see people sort of pick apart what the future of threads might be, depending on what they're going to be allowed to do on the platform, allowed to say on the platform. There's been some unease about how tightly linked it is to Instagram, for example. And also people have been saying, well, where are all the features? Right? If you go on Twitter, you can do spaces, you can do direct messages, you can do many other things that right now threads can't do. Adam Masseri, the, the CEO of Instagram, you know, he's there saying, don't worry, we're working on it, we're going to get to that. Uh, you just have to be patient, because what, of course, they did was because Elon Musk was having such trouble with Twitter, uh, they moved it forward so they could capitalise on that trouble. Um, and so it's not perhaps quite as ready as they might have wanted it to be uh, at the point that they brought it onto the market. But yeah. that initial reaction, 70 million people, even though it's Facebook and they have this big head start with Instagram, obviously, getting 70 million people to download a new app in the space of a couple of days. I mean, it's a remarkable feat of, of onboarding, really. Now, you mentioned Elon Musk. In a wedding, there's always that moment where you could say, does anyone here 
perhaps speak against this nuptial. And I feel like Elon Musk is that guy who's just walked into the church and saying, I, I protest, you cannot get married. What is going on? What is, what is the realism of this legal letter? Because he sends a few around as the Mr. Shipro. He does, he does. And, and the particular lawyer that sent the letter has been Elon Musk's you know, right-hand man in all of his legal battles. And you know, I've been in the courtroom for, for many of them. I mean, look, until we see the substance of any complaint, I think it's really hard to know, right? I mean, because the, the letter made some claims that there was people at Meta that had been taken from Twitter purposefully to build threads. Even uh, though Twitter have lost so many employees. Quite, <laughs> indeed. I mean, they, they, yeah, they, they, they let them go themselves, and perhaps they've gone on to new jobs at Meta. They've said no form of Twitter employees were involved in the creation of threads. And so I think it's really up to Elon Musk and his lawyer uh, to, 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 to bring that evidence and say, here's why uh, we think we have a complaint. There's a big jump between threatening to take legal action and actually taking legal action. And so I think until we see that moment, that's when we'll really know how serious uh, Elon Musk feels about being uh, copied by, by Meta. Just a quick point, Cara and Dave. I read that letter that was sent on Musk's behalf to Zuckerberg and Meta's legal counsel. Do you know what's funny? Linda Yaccarino, the CEO of Twitter, is not one of the co-signatories, and she's not in copy either. It is sent on Elon Musk's behalf to Meta. Dave, what do you make of that? Well, I think this is another question, isn't it, of the degree to which Linda Yaccarino is in charge of Twitter at all. I mean, when, when Twitter was having its issues last weekend with the big rate-limiting problems where you could only see a certain number of tweets, the CEO of the company didn't say anything for, for, for several days, and her interactions were only to like the tweets that Elon Musk had been posting. And even when she was you know, first put into that job, uh, I wrote at the time, and many others did, that there's only ever really going to be one person in charge of Twitter, and that's Elon Musk. And we've just seen that yet again with, like you say, this this letter. One of the things I think is striking about the, the lawyer in particular is that it wasn't that long ago that he was describing his role as no longer being at Twitter and that he was still Elon Musk's um, personal lawyer, but his business with Twitter had taken a back seat and the company was dealing with itself. And so this may be an instance, and we've seen it from Elon Musk in the past, this may be an instance where he's just incensed personally and wants to, wants to go after this. But again, until we see exactly what he thinks is cases, it's very hard to, to address you know, what the merits are of that. Let's get back to the technology and the platform, right? You, you point out in the Bloomberg opinion column that the onboarding is a big part of this. You can just simply take your Instagram following, convert it over to threads. And, you know, Caroline's heard me say this a few times in the last two days. I went back and looked at Twitter's S1. It took them a year to get from 30 million users to 70 million between March of 2010 and March of 2011. Meta's done it in 48 hours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's clearly a huge competitive advantage to have Instagram in your back pocket to, to launch a new social network. I think one of the interesting comparisons that I've seen recently is uh, Facebook, uh, Meta has only managed to get 200,000 people into the metaverse, right? So this has already been vastly more successful than what their big strategy um, was meant to have been. Um, I mean, look, it's, it's, 
it, being able to, to bring those Instagram followers over is, is obviously a great benefit. What I do think could be an issue, and something that I've heard people sort of talking about, is you know, what does that say about the nature of what Threads is going to be? Because Twitter was a very diverse uh, grouping of people on the internet, whereas Instagram was particularly popular with you know, influencers and creators and, and some of the more sort of celebrity culture online. And I think one of the risks might be that while, Insta while Meta Threads may be a Twitter killer, so to speak, it may not eventually be a Twitter replacement. You know, it, there could be a shift of people going from one platform to the other, but we might still lose what made Twitter a worthwhile place to be on the internet, which is why you know, when you look at some of these new alternatives, the smaller alternatives like Blue Sky and T2 and Spill, and we don't have time to say them all, I, I suspect, um, they might be feeling quite downheartened by the fact that Meta have done this. But actually, I think in time, there will still right. be space for these, for these smaller alternatives. And to that point, you mentioned their master there's also and blue sky mm. these are decentralized yes. and what's been interesting is this talk of a fediverse and the fact that eventually threads could be built upon you know one of these overall protocols where look, you could take your people your followers with you and and share them amongst all these sorts of social media platforms do you when do you think that might happen because we got teased it and then it didn't go live of course because they sort of pushed forward the outlet yeah I mean it's certainly something they've committed to um, I, I'd like to see it quite soon I think it, it, that would be one thing that could convince me that Meta is serious about being more open with the internet. You know, is this that is good for an investor, though. I, mean, I, I think it, it depends what they see the value of Threads being. Right? If Threads is a way to bring people into the Facebook family of apps, as they call them, um, with the view of having you know, more engagement on Instagram, more engagement on the Facebook Blue app, the main app, which is really you know not the place where things happen anymore, then it could potentially be useful. But yes, you're right. They could lose the ability to own this entire community put their ads in there, monetize it as much as possible. And that's where I think the most difficult thing for Threads is going to be almost fighting against the instincts of mm -hmm. Meta, the company. They want to have the control. They want to eventually monetize it. You'd think if history is to go by, monetize it within an inch of its life, basically. Um, and yet that might be the death knell for it. So the degree to which it will be open with these other, you know, with the rest of the Fediverse, that to yes. me feels like a very interesting experiment. Um, whether Meta is going to be corporately comfortable with that, I think that's a, a big test. Uh, what was it that Jack Dorsey said, Caro? We wanted flying cars, and instead we got seven Twitter clones. <laughs> Debate for another program, I think. Dave Lee, Bloomberg Opinion. Check out his latest opinion column on Bloomberg.com. Thank you very much. All right, the show continues. Coming up, today's June jobs report showed relatively strong gains in the labor market. We're going to talk to Cara Brennan, chief people officer over at Lattice, about the trends that she's seeing in the technology sector. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. 
Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Look, some pretty mixed macro signals today from the U.S. labor market. Let's go through them because jobs growth melling out a little bit. Yet the wages, they're still increasing at a faster than expected pace than last month. The U.S. added 209,000 non-farm jobs in June, making it the smallest advance since the end of 2020. But those wage gains still show the inflationary pressure of this pretty resilient labor market. And, of course, unemployment rate coming in at 3.6%. We're lucky enough to be able to discuss all of this with Cara Brennan. San Francisco, she's based, Chief People Officer over at Lattice. Great to have some time with you, Karen. What did you make? Are you glass half empty, glass half full? Are we somewhere in the middle? Uh, I'd say I'm probably somewhere in the middle. What I can say um, is that among our 5,000 customers who are chief people officers, heads of people, there's a lot of discussion about what the second half of this year looks like in preparation for next year. I do think that the medium term, people are optimistic um, from sitting in my seat because we're seeing really great talent in the market um, and we're seeing uh, some some softening uh, in, in some of our businesses uh, as it relates to software sales and others, um, a softening of of the of the really tough times that that we've been through over the past six to twelve months. So we're seeing those glimmers, but I can tell you that um, right now we're still in a place where we're all very conservative. Um, Headcount uh, is is really being thoughtful um, in terms of who we're going to hire, where we're going to hire, and we're keeping a very close eye on the compensation data uh, because what right. we're saying is reflecting what these broader uh, broader trends are as well well in the technology sector what do wages look like how competitive is it from but using compensation as a proxy yeah, what's interesting is our data lags behind the real market. We know it does by about six months. So we're still seeing data that was from the end of last year that's still very high. And the hope is is that we will see some of those um, rates come down ultimately so that we can have better balance in terms of our salary spend, which, as everyone knows, is around 70 percent of, of our, our total spend as businesses. Um, we are starting to see that. We're starting to see that in some of those really spiky roles, um, our top engineering roles, um, some of our roles on the sales side. We're seeing some of that come down, but it's not across the board. Mm. I mean, AI, I can imagine. Oh, prompt engineers, you name it, are going to be still pretty demanded for and recompensed in light of that, Cara. Do you feel, though, the bracing 
that we had in the tech sector of yet more job losses, yet larger 10%, 20% cuts. Is that a thing of the past now? Have people right-sized to a certain degree? Um, in general, yes. That's it. That's what I'm hearing from our customers, the folks that are now focused on the people that they have in seat, knowing that the growth is slowed for the second half of this year. But I do feel like people feel like their hands are on the wheel now, and they're able to look forward to the next six months with a plan that's realistic. It's very different than this time last year when mm. nobody knew what was happening and we were all trying to manage to it. Well said. And Ed, I mean, when we look at the broader labor data and non-farm payrolls, it's very hard to really discern what's happening at a tech level and indeed how broad the tech issues are idiosyncratic to that particular sector or speak more broadly to the overall environment. Yeah, I it, mean, it, let me jump in here, Carol, real quick, because I think Caroline's raised a really good point that what I hear from founders, public company executives and everyone in between doesn't match the data. Think about the Challenger Christmas in grey. We put so much emphasis on that and all the layoffs that were announced. But those were announced, not necessarily enacted. And there are loads of companies I know that are scrambling to find people. They're desperate to hire. Why is there some inconsistency there? The inconsistency is that we had a period of time, the two years during the pandemic, where we were just hiring to hire honestly. And what we've done is gone back to what the foundation of good business is and and knowing that we have to build for the future state and we have to have the right people in the right seats. So what has happened on the HR side is there have been lots of meetups, lots of webinars, lots of discussion about org design and how to make sure that you're optimizing the performance and productivity of the people who are in the seat. Um, we know that because that's what Lattice does. We're a talent management platform. We've seen the usage of our tool increase month over month um, and year over year for from our customers, yes. people want to do a better job of managing the talent they have. It's not a hiring spree anymore. Uh, Kara, you know this sector, you know Silicon Valley. Elon Musk and his lawyer have threatened to sue Meta, uh, claiming abuse of trade secrets and through the employment of Twitter employees. Can you enforce an NDA in Silicon Valley? What do you make of that situation? I can't speak to, to Elon and, and, and Meta's particular situation. What I can tell you is, uh, in my experience, we're very clear in Silicon Valley that the state of California um, does not allow non-competes to be enforced for the most part. Depends on the specific situation. Um, and, and I've seen lots of CEOs send lots of nasty letters um, in the course of my career and know that sitting in this seat that you know, you move on, you bring your talent in, and you're not as concerned about non-competes as you might be in other states. Cara Brennan, Chief People Officer at Lattice, always on the heartbeat of the tech sector, yeah. what's going on in jobs. Thank you so much for your time. Time for Talking Tech. First up, Samsung reported a $46 billion decline in sales, its worst in quarterly revenue since 2009. The tech company's operating profit plunged 96%, but still ahead of market expectations as the demand for electronics and memory chips 
has slowed. And U.S. audit officials have started a new round of inspections for New York-listed Chinese companies. The inspection comes as a trade war on technology from AI to chip manufacturing continues to mount tensions between the world's two largest economies. Plus, China imposed more than $1 billion in fines on tech giant Ant and Tencent, signaling an end to a crackdown on a sector that wiped out billions in market value and derailed the world's biggest IPO. Caro. And let's dig in on that, and because I'm pleased to say Bloomberg News' Isabel Lee is with us to just break down why the shares have popped quite so much for the likes of Alibaba for Tencent. It's a hefty fine, but is it just relief that it's over? It definitely is. It sounds kind of counterintuitive, but then many of the analysts are saying that, okay, maybe this will put a lid to the multi-year crack that we've seen in the tech sector that cost some of the Wall Street's biggest firms to call China uninvestable. Mm -hmm. And we've seen some of the biggest companies shed billions of dollars, but then now if that's going to be over, then they can move on. And there are some speculations that, oh, maybe this can pave the way for another renewed attempt for Ant to have an IPO, possibly. But many right. people are just relieved. Even the Nasdaq China Golden Dragon Index is up around 3%. What does moving on look like then? You know, we talk about the breakup of Alibaba as an example and what might be spun off. Yes, exactly. So we know that China has been really cracking down on the tech firms, and this may look like the end of it. Like Ali, Alibaba CEO Jack Ma came back in March. There's a renewed um, appetite to kind of reinvigorate the tech sector, and that's what many people are seeing. But the thing is, an ant IPO isn't looking like it's going to happen anytime soon because their bottom line is really not looking good. Their December earnings quarter was down 56%, and if you go technically, if you want to list in China's so-called A-share market, you shouldn't have had a change in corporate leadership in the past three years. Two years for the Shanghai star market and one year for Hong Kong. But still, at least hopes are there, and that's probably what's buoying the market. Just take us back a little bit, as well as to what's shifted in China's mindset. Why have we sort of come to the end of the scrutiny, we hope, at least? People are saying it's because the, when China locked down during the pandemic, it really wasn't good for the economy. And when they were going to reopen, even strategists here in Wall Street thought that there would be a boom and that global growth will ride on that. But that so-called boom didn't quite happen. So I think they're just really trying to revive their sector and tech is the biggest. So why not try to do that? And if it will be good for China, it'll also be good for the world, like even for here in the US. So it's really just that shift in mentality. And who wants to be called uninvestable, I think? So that's one. <laughs> All right, Bloomberg's Isabel Lee. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. Ed Ludlow here in San Francisco. And I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. Let's just check in on the new favorite platform for everyone to be getting to know each other yes. in a slightly different destination. We're all talking about threads. Flat on a Friday, talking threads up almost 4% over five sessions, excluding July the 4th. Let's talk more on threads and bring in Stephen Wolf Pereira, 3 Pars Studios Chief Business Officer. You are a multi-platform entertainment company. I know you, you're close to threads and how it came about. Did what you saw on launch with Threads match what Meta told you it was going to be? Absolutely, Ed. I mean, it's just been, I think, exceeding everyone's expectations for it to launch and for literally the onboarding 
to be less than four seconds, because if you have an Instagram account, you effectively just poured over all that information and data, and now you're able to kind of bring that over. Um, it's just been wildly successful, I think, beyond everyone's expectations. I read a stat today that it was over 50 million subscribers already on the platform. Um, so when you have three billion users across all of Meta's you know, apps you know, being used every single day, uh, three billion people being able to kind of solve that cold start problem of getting audience, you know, finding how to bring your followers over onto a new platform, I think they've really done well. You are someone who helps tell stories. How are brands telling stories on this new platform? How playful, how, how different are we seeing things evolve over there? I think that's a great point, Caroline. I mean, to see some of the brands really understand that this is a different medium, and it's not images, right? It's not video, it's text. And so being very witty, understanding how do you have your brand voice come through, I think that's something that a lot of brands are excited about because right now it's fun, it is positive. Uh, you don't have all the trolls and all the cesspool of so many different other platforms. So the fact that you have brands like American Eagle, uh, Wendy's, you know, just you know, follow some of their threads and you know, it's, it's funny. And I feel like that's um, kind of this gone by era of the early days of social where people were really excited to kind of open up the app and see what people were saying, what brands were saying, and of course, what creators are going to be saying, including celebrities. Uh, Stephen, just an update for you and our Bloomberg Technology audience. When you were racing over to our LA studio, Mark Zuckerberg updated it's 70, 70 million now on board onto threads. So there you go. Uh, well, how does but, but, this... but it's interesting. I, I, I think he said something uh, actually in the thread talking about he wasn't really thinking about monetization until they hit a billion subscribers. And so obviously this is one of the fastest app launches um, in history. Uh, certainly very exciting to see this trajectory. But um, let's see that billion dollar or that billion subscriber threshold and see what's going to happen when they hit that soon. That billion, I think it was like on clear path to a billion. What do you think about the monetization options here and how they do that while also pretending, well, eventually to be within the Fediverse, to be decentralized? Is it that the yeah. advertising remains in the app and then if it's moving across to different use cases or Mastodon, you wouldn't be advertised against? Like, yeah. what were the discussions like in Cannes? Yeah, so I just got back from Ken Lyons, the, the International Festival of Advertising Creativity. Uh, Alvin Bowles, who's Meta's new global VP of their global business group. Uh, Alvin is now kind of overseeing what brands are going to be doing on their platform across all the different apps, you know, from obviously Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook Blue. Uh, but the reality is this was something that was really being, you know, I think on everyone's uh, lips, trying to understand how are we going to really integrate, how are we going to use this, and certainly when can we actually buy ads across, you know, the, the threads, you know, kind of um, engagement and users and targeting advertising. I think all that is going to be in a wait and see, because mm. uh, again, I think they want to really build the engagement, build the audience. And when you think about celebrities, uh, you know, certainly I work with Eugenio de Best. He's the biggest Latino actor in the world. You know, he is a comedian, so you know, he's excited about getting onto threads to kind of talk about ways to engage his audience in, you know, certainly lots of different languages. So when you see brands really trying to figure about when can we engage, I think there's going to be a little bit of a wait and see from Meta because they really want to make sure that it's a safe place, that they okay. want the positivity and the fun. So how do you now think about Twitter? And what was the talk about Twitter at Can Lion? You know, is this a kind of eat Twitter's lunch scenario to your mind? 
So it's at a little bit of an inflection point. I know lots of people like to dunk on Twitter. And again, Linda's been there for you know 11 seconds, right? So certainly she is going to uh, have her work cut out for her. But the reality is you know, Twitter wasn't uh, represented at can lines the way they used to be. Uh, you know, there used to be a big Twitter beach that was no longer uh, there. They didn't uh, have that space. Um, but obviously, they're focused on a really big vision and a big plan around X. And so I would say don't count them out. They obviously are trying to do something different. They want to take it in a different direction. Elon obviously is thinking about taking this into that super app of X. Um, so I feel that Linda is really smart. And obviously, she is in active dialogue with so many different brands and advertisers. And when you see you know, kind of what folks are doing, whether it's you know, Marissa Thalberg over at SeaWorld, or you're looking at J.P. Morgan Chase and you know, Carla Hassan, or you know, all these different companies that are trying to figure out, where am I going to engage? How am I going to find audience? And how do I really get my message out there? I feel like these are the different ways yes. that brands are going to be looking to engage. You know Linda Yaccarino. You have history in that relationship. But will you put money to play it in the Twitter platform? Right now, uh, as you know, Tripas, you know, certainly we will because we actually have um, some films launching this fall. We actually have a film that won Sundance called Radical that's going to be coming out in October. Um, so absolutely, I mean, we want to be where the audience is, and you know, to this day, you know, Twitter still have a very active, engaged audience base. Obviously, there's concerns around you know, kind of privacy or you know, the rhetoric or whatever it is, but there's still a very active audience. And you know, when you see Eugenio with you know, one of the largest you know, kind of social footprints, he has over 80 million followers across all social. Uh, Twitter is obviously a platform that we're still involved with, but we're still going to be yes. looking for other platforms. Stephen Wolf Pereira, 3 Pass Studios, thank you for joining us out there in LA. See you soon. Thanks so much. Right, another top story here on Bloomberg Technology. Apple's headset will be available in retail stores early next year, but the rollout is going to be a little slow. Mark Gurman has the details next. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.
Time now for VC Roundup. Baiju wants India's most valuable upstart is in turmoil after missing a deadline on financial statements, giving payments on a $1.2 billion loan. And now that crisis is sending alarm bells throughout India's VC world. It's prompted, prompted Bloom Ventures, for example, one of India's biggest venture capital firms, to cut back on what they call frivolous investments and to push portfolio companies to increasingly shift focus to profitability. Meanwhile, well, when old is new again, Albert Einstein might have died in 1955, but the physicist is still a prolific conversationalist. There's a chatbot, of course, on Character AI, one of the strangest startups in the AI scene, but valued at $1 billion. Einstein has responded to 1.6 million messages, apparently, from theories of relativity to pet recommendations, Ed. That is the best story we've done on Bloomberg <laughs> technology ever. That's a big we'll statement. Keep it going. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's a big statement, but Einstein's back, baby. Apple's headset is coming soon-ish to a store near you. Bit of a hard pivot there. The tech giant <laughs> planning a retail launch of its Vision Pro headset, but only in select US markets early next year before expanding further. Bloomberg's Mark Gurman broke those details overnight. Mark, there is a very clear strategy here, according to your reporting. Yeah, I wonder what Albert Einstein would think about virtual reality and the uh, Vision Pro. But uh, in terms of this story, so what we're hearing is that there's going to be a bit of a slow-go ramp-up to the Apple Vision Pro launch. This is a $3,500 device. It requires an immense amount of customization, uh, the logistics, the way that they're going to launch this thing both online and in stores. It's a very cumbersome process. So here is how, how it's going to work. Early next year, so early 2024 in the U.S., you'll be able to order the device either online or in an Apple retail store. If you're buying it in a retail store, if you're in one of those major markets, L.A., New York, San Francisco, uh, Texas, in those retail stores, those bigger stores, you'll have a new virtual reality Vision Pro experience area where you can buy the device, experience the device, have it set up and customized, get training on it, right? If you're in a smaller market store, you'll be able to go in there and buy it, maybe in a small corner at a table somewhere. But over time, they'll ramp up that new experience center. But the important thing to note is you'll be able to buy the Vision Pro in any U.S. retail store uh, from the get-go. Yeah. Where things get complicated is if you have a Vision prescription. So you'll have to upload your vision prescription uh, to a website, either through Apple or through Zeiss, because Apple doesn't want you handing that medical information directly to an Apple retail employee. You'll do that at the time of purchase, either online or another important factor is it's going to be sold by appointment only in stores. So when you make that appointment, you'll upload that information. Mark, the slow rollout, how much of that is about market education, about trying to navigate demand and how much is it the supply side that also holds it up? I think it's a combination of all three, but definitely I would lean uh, mostly towards supply, right? They don't have enough supply to do a global launch at this point. They think they'll have enough supply by the tail end of 2024 or into 2025. And so what they're going to do is they're going to launch uh, in Asia in early 2025. At the end of 2024, they'll be launching in Canada and the UK. Over time, they're going to expand to France and Germany. Basically, they're gonna probably get to about 10 major regions by the end of 2025. In 2025, they're also looking at expanding to resellers as well.
fascinating the way in which these things, the logistics of getting this into our hands. Mark German with all the news, as we know, we thank you so much. Meanwhile, well, let's talk about what's going viral right now, the Barbie movie. It has 64 years. The Barbie doll has been both an icon and an embarrassment. Now, with Greta Gerwig's new film, Mattel, the company that builds them, is now trying to prove that Barbie isn't hopelessly out of date. Did that bet pan out? We're going to see. Let's bring in Bloomberg's Thomas Buckley for more on that because there's been a beautiful big take written by Bloomberg today all about how the birth of this occurred. And really it all goes back to Mattel realising that they're an IP company as much as they're a toy company. Absolutely, that's totally right. And, um, you know, before I launch into that, I have to say that I was just watching Mark Gurman's segments and I'm very jealous of his pink walls. Maybe I should have done the, <laughs> the interview from there. Well um, so it's... It's, it's incredibly interesting. I mean, Elon Craze, the CEO of Mattel, who came in to run the company in 2018, his background has been in entertainment for really most of his career. So I think that when he took hold of Mattel, he realized, look, we've got these phenomenal brands, including Barbie, Hot Wheels, Barney, and more that would be perfectly suited to the screen. And what's interesting is that Barbie has had iterations on screen, whether it's video games or whether it's straight TV films, but it's the first time ever that it's had a comprehensive theatrical release um, helmed by Greta Gerwig, as you know, and produced by Warner Brothers that have cost $100 million. Thomas, producer John Hyland makes a really good point, which is that the hype around this has been astonishing. It's been everywhere, social media, on all the streaming platforms, I see ads for it. But the origins of this product, the history of Barbie, some people are saying, actually, this is a pretty big risk for the company. Explain that to me. That's absolutely right. So I think that, you know, when Barbie launched in 1959, I mean, she was immensely popular for several decades. I mean, she was modeled on the German doll build Lily and, um, you know, in a country that had recently um, embraced Aaronism. So I think that, you know, the, the marketing of the doll at its early stages, you know, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, appealed to, you know, a set number of people, but wasn't necessarily that wide-ranging. Now, Barbie's brand actually suffered because it was being perceived as very elitist in the past couple of decades. And I think that what this film is going to try to do is really undo a lot of those preconceived notions that Barbie is only suitable to a set demographic by making her more accessible. And that really follows the trend of actually making the doll itself more accessible. A number of Barbies have been produced, you know, in current times that have, for example, alopecia or Down syndrome or different skin tones in a bit to actually build the brand into something a lot more accessible than it has been in the past. I mean, I go back to that amazing outfit by Jay-Z and Beyonce when they came as Barbie dolls, really to highlight the point it was a Halloween costume. To that end, if this does do well, and there are limitations, we understand, you know, they've ruffled feathers, to put it mildly, in Vietnam. But what, do they manage to make this a sequel if it goes well, if they manage to overcome those issues in Vietnam? There are some ongoing considerations. I believe, according to sources familiar, that a sequel um, is perhaps being put into development. It all depends on how well the film does. I mean, as Ed rightly pointed out, the, the hype for this is really unmatched in, in recent times in Hollywood. I think that, you know, the only film that I can think of that's had as much hype as this is maybe the Avatar sequel. Certainly nothing this year has even come close. And we're observing the tracking for this film, that is to say how it's going to perform on its opening weekend. And the tracking jumped domestically by 54% just in the last week alone, set to open at about $110 million. Now, if this film can gross, you know, something like half a billion, which is a tall ask, but not impossible given some of the hype around it, then I'm fairly certain that a sequel would be put into production. All right, Bloomberg's Thomas Buckley with the Barbie latest. Thank you.
time for another story. A new study from Watchfinder showed that as many as 10% of the watches received from sellers last year were determined to be fakes during an authentication process. And half of those fakes were Rolexes. And the problem is set to become worse for the $27 billion secondary market as fakes become more sophisticated and harder to spot. The question I have for you, Caroline, is how does technology fix that? When there's a will, there's a way. Ed, and let's bring in someone who knows the luxury space, specifically using technology to verify goods. Entropy authentication uses look, a combination of artificial intelligence, of course it does, and microscopy. Microscopy, of course, that objectively kind of assesses the authenticity of an item. I'm pleased to say the founder's with us, the CEO of Entropy. It is Vidyuth Srinivasan. Vidyuth, okay, how does AI, how does microscopy help in these scenarios? What exactly are you doing? Are you able to tell us? Sure. Uh, firstly, thanks for having me. And uh, what we do is we use visual, we use images. We run images through AI models and help them understand the minute differences, so minutia per se. And this could be at such a deep resolution that it's almost impossible, not impossible, but almost impossible for counterfeiters to actually beat that. Mm. Uh, and we train computers at scale to understand these differences, and then when our customers, anybody needs on-demand authentication, someone has an item in front of them and they need to know if it's real or not, we are uh, providing them the ability to take images of the item, ship it out to the cloud, AI says yes or no, if it's a yes, then we give them a certificate and a financial guarantee. So it's almost like insurance. Mm -hmm. Vidya, where's the technology come from? Have you developed this yourself, or you're bringing in the software component from a third party? Uh, no, we, everything is built in-house, including the microscopy, the, even, even any other camera information that we get is all processed in-house. The data that we collect and we train computers on is also completely in-house, which makes it kind of unique and also valuable. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, when we started this, there was no one else doing it. It was also a weird thing to do. Think about it. You're, you're, you're at Bloomingdale's. Would you expect someone to walk around with a device like that? Uh, but turns out there's a lot of value because about 10 to 12% of all the items that we authenticate are counterfeit. And this is only with businesses. Wow. I, what's interesting, I'm looking at a handbag and can really understand how your technology would work for that. Are there items, we were just talking about watches, is that sort of impossible mm -hmm. because you've got to basically take the thing apart to be able to take the photos? Where are the limitations? Where is the scalability for you? Sure. So scalability, uh, scalability is available in almost any category where there are counterfeits because the beauty of AI is this flywheel of learning and improving constantly. Mm -hmm. Typically when you do that long enough and at large scales enough, you are disincentivizing counterfeiters from constantly going after that space, making better quality fakes, because at some point their margin is at a ceiling. right? So you're always half a step ahead. So that's where the scalability and the AI piece is useful. Limitations-wise, I think you raise a very good point. When it comes to certain types of goods, there's form and there's function. right? Form is, say, a handbag or a shoe or a piece of apparel or an accessory. Uh, function would mean, does it work well, right? Mm. So for a watch, you need to do both. AI is excellent at form, might not be the most ideal solution at function, but there are other ways. So the question is, how can you put both together in a seamless way? That's what we're working on. 
come back when you nailed the watch market as well. Really great to have some time with you. Thank you. Vidyuth Trinivasan there, Entropy founder and CEO. We thank him while we all constantly consider our goods and whether they're real or not. And Ed, I mean, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. It's been a very quick, short week, but a fun one. Yeah, a short week dominated by threads, but there's a lot more to recap. It's interesting how real focus on social media, so much going on in China, a lot with the hardware side with Apple and Mark Gurman's reporting. So you can recap it. Don't forget, we have our podcast. You can find it on the Bloomberg Terminal as well as online on Apple, Spotify and iHeart, wherever you choose to get your podcast. A short week, a big week in the world of technology coming up from New York and San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.